Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living White Rock, a learning center for practical spirituality. The words you are about to hear will inspire a shift in your perspective to see what is possible by means of you right now and affirm your soul's knowing about taking that next step in your life for your own highest good. But it's so good to see you all again, to be here. I was telling, I don't remember which person, how much I love White Rock. It's a beautiful city. This is a lovely place to live. Are you looking for a job? A little fixing over there. We might have So, it has already been mentioned that I'm here to talk about intention. And but how did you know I was looking for you? She had her finger up before I said her name. <laughs> but her practitioner reading was right on target. So I have I have good news and I have bad news. Don't you love those? <laughs> so the good news is that it's true that there's a power all around us and we can use it. And somewhere in the book, Ernest Holmes adds, for good. We can use it, period. Ideally, if we use it for some idea of good, we're a little better off. So that's the good news. Now the bad news is, we're using it anyway. Now why might that be bad news? Well, if you don't like some bits of your life, you create it. So that's the bad news. So I'm looking around, you know, and I want this, and I'm getting that. It's because I created that. Now it can get a little complicated and questionable, and that's a different story. I'm not going to go into that today. But I will say one thing. It's not as black and white as, oh, I don't like that in my life, and I created it. Because there's actually a co-creation happening at all times. It's not as bad as it might seem. We are not totally, totally stuck in being totally responsible for creating all the time what's going on. There is a collaboration happening where other folks are involved and other destinies are involved and we go on and on about that, but I'm not going to. But I really want to emphasize is the importance of intention. And then the other thing I want to emphasize is that we are all creating. Period. And even though some of the stuff we're creating, it looks like I didn't create that. <laughs> um, I, I think some of you may remember that I'm a consultant contractor person. I, yeah. So that's what I am, and I've been doing that for since 1994. And when I moved to Seattle about 15 years ago, I contacted some HR people who placed me in, in situations. And one of my, my most favorite agents, I'll call her an agent, agency, she, she called me to a lunch and she said, 
You know, you, I keep placing you places and things keep going to hell. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that word. <laughs> in a basket. And, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? And I said, well, I didn't close the company down. I didn't sell the company. I didn't make the decision to terminate one third of the workforce. And so what? And she was like, things keep going wrong when you're there. Well, I, I didn't actually create those. They were gonna sell that company before I ever got there. They made the decision to reduce positions. So what happened was I kept, I kept getting put in these situations that were drama intensive. Uh, I'm still in those situations. I'm in one now where I thought, because I, I intentionally said, okay, I want a different experience. I want to work in an environment where, oh, where my um, coaching executive skills can be used. <laughs> and I got there and the executive wouldn't pay attention to me. So we ended the contract after I'd been there about five months. Then he called me back and he said, I need to use your consulting. So here I am back in there and this poor little company is in the usual chaos. Did I create that? No. Did I create, however, getting me into that? Rita says, yes, I did. <laughs> and she's right. So some part of me was not paying attention to what I'm creating. Some part of me was not being intentional enough. It's sort of like saying, I want a new car. Okay, that leaves you about 50 billion options. It's a new car, but it doesn't run. It's a new car, but it's not the car you love. It's a new car, but it doesn't have the bells and whistles you want. It's a new car, but it's the wrong color. It's a new car, but you can't drive it because it's so much bigger than the last car you had. Yeah, these are actual life experiences. <laughs> a new car. <laughs> one has to be a little more specific in one's intention. And someone told me, well, he didn't tell me, I read it. The, the, the person said, the only reason we don't get what we want is because we let go of what we want. We want a new car, but we say, oh, I can't afford it, whatever. Um, it's going to be the wrong color. It, uh, you know, we'll have all of these reasons why we can't have what we want. And I've had um, a couple of folks in the past year tell me, well, one, you want too much. And two, why aren't you just satisfied with what you have? It's better than nothing. Actually, over the past year, three people have said that about something I wanted. Once we let it go, once we agree, there you go, it's gone. So being intentional, I do want a new car, 
And I wanted to have bells and whistles. I forgot to add I want it to be the right size. <laughs> I don't have that car anymore. It had a little accident. <laughs> but now I have a car with fewer bells and whistles, but a small one I can I can parallel park it. <laughs> and I'm very happy about that. That's more important than the bells and whistles. I realize, you know what, I don't really care about the bells and whistles. Yes, it was nice to have leather seats. I don't care. I, I want to be able to parallel park it, and I want it to get good gas mileage. I want it to be kind of cute. So it's out there, and that's what it is. And, you know, we... So you'll notice that's good news. If we make a decision about what we want and it doesn't work for us. We can do like the, the fishermen who go out to fish and then they put the fish back in. You can just throw it back in the hopper and say, okay, new decision. So we're creating stuff all the time. Are you familiar with MSU, the university? We're all graduates of MSU making stuff up, university. <laughs> <laughs> are so into making stuff up. So we're creating. <laughs> are we creating intentionally when we do that? No, we're not really thinking about the impact. Where was it? My little organization I'm working in now. One of the managers is a queen of MSU. <laughs> and I telling her, you know, that's a little black and white. That is not necessarily the case. And oh, okay, so too much science of mind. I'm a science of mind practitioner, minister. I don't think she really knows that. And she was saying that everybody was satisfied. These are hateful people and those are hateful people and these people are out to get me and this one's trying to undo me. And in her world, that's the truth. I had the nerve to tell her this week, I love all these people. I don't think they're bad people. I don't think they're bad people. Yes, there are some issues that need to be handled. But they they are not they're the sweetest people I've ever worked with. They open their little hearts to me all the time. I love that. They're so open that they're causing me to be open. And I'm supposed to be a jar not open. But they're just sweethearts. So I told her that, and she looked at me like I was crazy. Because in her story that she made up, that she created, they're all bad people. So what's she going to get? What's going to be her experience of these people? Bad. No matter what. You know, this, is, this isn't even um, airy fairies high up in the ability of being a, a spiritual person. This isn't even that spiritual. It's just plain old common sense. Mm -hmm. What you see is what you get. So yeah, no matter what they do, they're going to be half empty and going down. And in my book, they're half full and going up. There was a saying, the optimist and the pessimist may end up in the same place, but the optimist has a better trip. <laughs> so we live a little happier. We feel a little happier about life. 
we enjoy it more. If we can shift, <coughs> excuse me, to a more half full and filling approach. So that means that that story you're making up, you can make up a new story. So this is a place where science of mind comes in. I know you've heard it before. You said it. You've heard all this before, and now you're going to hear it again. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> well, you're going to hear it again. It's a matter of how we look at it. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So first, we're spiritual beings. We're not human beings trying to be spiritual. We're already spiritual. We're trying to allow that to come forward in our lives in all the ways that it can. And I love intentions, setting intentions. It's sort of a set it and forget it. Are you familiar with that? The box. Yeah, 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 yeah. His, his, his vibe, thank you. I'm like, which box it was? I know it was this black box. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, here's my oven. You just set it and forget it because it cooks to the timing and yada, yada, yada. You walk away, it's all done when you come back. Well, intentions, setting intentions can be like that. Okay, this is my intention. And what it does is it sets up so here's, the, I think, the practical way of looking at it. It sets up a situation where we move in the direction of our intention. That's wonderful. Now, if we don't set, set this intention, um, then, you know, it's like you're on a ship and any port will do. The setting an intention is like saying, we're going to Lisbon, period. Not, okay, we're on the ocean. So the setting of intentions is a beautiful thing because it's not that hard. There's a lot about this spiritual philosophy that's hard, like like accepting blame for what's in your life. That's really hard. I don't like it. Because first you have to see it. You have to see what's going on, and then you have to say, oh, my bad, somehow, somewhere, I may not know exactly how somewhere, because, oh, what? It's a bigger picture than just me. Or you. So all kinds of things are happening that come together. But setting this intention can cut through a lot of stuff. It will shape our behavior. That's the practical aspect of it. I saw that in what you were, what, 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 who you are here. You mentioned that part of this is spiritual principles and part of what you teach here are scientific or practical. They make sense to and to a fourth So setting the intention will um, direct our behavior. If I decide, for example, one of my intentions that I said some years ago, and I'm still working on it, is I want to be somebody that people want to be in the room with. I don't want to be someone where people may go over and I'm like, oh, Pamela's here, I'm going over here. <laughs> of course, you know that would never happen. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> well, I set an intention for a reason. So I set that intention, and how it showed up is I debate less with people. I was going to say argue. I was going to call it a debate. <laughs> I also refrain from giving my opinion of things more often. I refrain more often because, you know, I'm quite brilliant. And of course, whatever solution or resolution I have is more than likely a good one. And so why shouldn't I share it with you, whether you ask or not? I don't want to get to do that out here. After that, it's overrated. My family did not want to hear all my opinions of what they were doing and how they were doing it. I don't know why, because I'm so wise. <laughs> I am. But they want to live their own lives and make their own decisions. So, by mitigating some of that and some other things, um, now they miss me when I don't come to dinner. What? Oh, well, no, they're talkers. Oh, they're talkers. But they miss me now. They're like, well, where's Auntie Pamela? Because I, I, I kind of backed off of the dinners because it, it wasn't the best experience for me either. They didn't want to hear my mouth. and um, It just wasn't, I wasn't, they're very extroverted. I'm a little introverted. And it just wasn't a good experience. So I backed off. They missed me. So when I finally came, they were happy to see me, which was very nice. So I'm keeping backing off so that when I go, they're happy to see me. <laughs> and I'm a nicer person. I am way out of their business. Um, I'm just there. I do a practitioner presence. And that's what I do at work. I can do that. I know how to do that. I was trained to do So intention. So what else about attention and creation? Got to be willing to dream. Got to be willing to trust. Got to be willing to. Well, no, really, you have to think this. Your hands hurt. Got to be willing to dream. So many times, people won't even allow themselves to dream, and then sometimes you do allow yourself to dream, and somebody says, "Eh, not gonna happen." How many of you? Anybody in the room? Raise your hand, Rita. <laughs> I've heard Rita's story, I know this. And for those of you who haven't raised your hand, you just don't remember because we all get it. Oh, that's a nice idea, not going to happen. Oh, you want that? Never going to have it. Oh, you think you can do that? No, you can't. That's actually been my favorite thing. Oh, please tell me I can't do it. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> Up until then, I'm thinking, oh, I think I want to do this. And then I'm like, nah, you'll never do it. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Watch me. It's something in my DNA. <laughs> I yeah. got it from my mother, yeah. my father, I don't know. But it's like, oh, yeah, tell me I can't do that. Just try. <laughs> So, allowing myself to dream. 
Sometimes we have to make ourselves dream. Because we may have given up. We may have all of these things going on that say can't do it, too old to do it, too skinny to do it, too fat to do it, too tall to do it, too short to do it, too poor to do it, too something to do. We all have an internalized, no you can't. An internalized way. We don't even have to go out there and have our best friend or not so best friend saying, yeah, it's never going to happen. We will do it ourselves. Are you doing that? If there's a mm hmm in the room, okay, there's your homework. That's why right, you have homework today. If there's a mm hmm and you're aware of already having bought into, no, I can't do it. Your homework is to undo that. Yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I can do this. I'll find a way. Oh, by the way, you can't just say, yes, I can, and then wait for it to fall in your lap. Some people can, but they're very evolved. Most of us are still working on that. So once you say, yes, you can, then you kind of have to do something about it. And it could be all in your head what you do. And by that, I mean the mental picture, the visioning of it. Um, I don't know if I mentioned last time, but I'll make it short. When I moved up to Seattle, I bought a house. This is my first house. I moved up to Seattle 16 or 15 years ago. So at all that time, I've never had a house. I thought, I want a house, but I can't afford it. I'll never be able to afford it. I'm always not going to be making enough money to afford it. But I'm going to save anyway. I thought, oh! I'll marry it. <laughs> and, and I met two houses I wanted to marry. <laughs> but what came with them was not what I wanted to marry. <laughs> so I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. <laughs> I am going to have to fight myself. <laughs> and then I discovered, while talking to a friend who was a realtor, that I actually had enough money saved for a down. I was like, well, who knew? The short of it is, I didn't find the house. I didn't, well, I was living in an expensive area, so I was looking at condominiums. I did not. Nothing called to me. Everything she showed me didn't work. And then she showed me, she finally showed me this absolutely gorgeous one with a sunken living room, looked out on a golf course. I still remember what this place looked like. It was lovely. And she said, well, I didn't want to show you this at first. At first, it was already there six show places ago. She said, well, because you know, you have to park downstairs in the garage, and that stairs up. And then, your bedrooms are another set of stairs up. And I said, and your point? She says, well, all those stairs. And I said, well, I don't care about the stairs. She cared. She had knee issues. So she was like, oh, nobody wants to go up these stairs. And she said, well, over there, you know, there's people, they do drugs. <laughs> So I drove by over there, which was next door to the park, to the condominium complex. Over there, and the condominium was separated by a long chain link fence with a 
job. So there may have been a little issue with over there. But when I went over there, moms were playing in the park with their kids. So maybe at 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody was out there doing something they shouldn't be doing. But it was generally not happening over there. And I told her, I really like this. And then she found out, so did three other women. And one very well-off guy who trumped pardon the word. Boom! us all out of the deal. All because she thought I wouldn't take stairs. So I said, okay, something's going on with my consciousness. I take responsibility for this. There's something up with me. So I used our practices. I took some pictures of my parents' house and I put them on my mirror so that my consciousness would start thinking my own house, not Mary's house. <laughs> I, uh, right next door to me there was a cul-de-sac of darling homes, two-story, lovely little pastel matching homes. They were so cute. And whenever I drove by them to my apartment, I always looked this way. Because I said, I will never live in a house like that. See that internal negativism? I'll never live. I'll never be able to afford anything like that. I'm not even going to look at it. So the change I made, and again, this is the internal stuff I'm talking about. The changes that we make in our heads. I started driving through that cul-de-sac when I left and when I came. I drove through the cul-de-sac. Somebody looked out the door at me once and was like, <laughs> but mostly probably nobody saw me because it was intermittent, you know. But again, it was to get my head ready for the concept of owning my own home. Now remember, I've been living about 700 years in apartments for the most part. So that, yeah. Those are the only two things I actually did. The pictures on the mirror and driving around the cul-de-sac. When I moved, got ready to move to Seattle, I found some apartments down the street from my parents. And I took my dad down there and I said, okay, this is where I'm thinking about living. And I don't like it because it doesn't have any trees. This here is right here, and I had a whole list of things I didn't like about it. And my father, being my father, was like, so I didn't think he heard a word I said or cared. He was just, okay, drag dad down there and whatever. Then he called me in California and he said, I found your house. He said, what do you mean you found my house? He says, it has trees, it has three bedrooms, blah, blah, blah. And I told the guy, I had the nerve to say, and I don't want to pay any more for this house when I'm paying for my two-bedroom apartment in Oakland because California's more expensive. That ought to be enough. I had no idea. I had done no research. <laughs> None. Zipping all up. Not a clue. But I said, but I had my intention, okay? I am not paying any more than I'm paying in Oakland. Well, the house was everything I wanted. And my dad said, and she doesn't want to pay any more than what she's already paying, and that's this much. And the guy said, okay, well, you put a little money down on it, and it's hers. I won't sell it to anybody else. I'm like, really? 
I haven't even seen the house. I thought, if I don't like the house, I'm going to have to pay my father back for doing this for a house I don't even want. So I'm going to like the house. <laughs> I'm going to just love it, I'm sure. Internal steps in. So I set this intention, okay, I'm going to like the house, I'm going to buy the house. And my sister says, they're not going to sell you that house. You're moving to Seattle. You have no work track record in Seattle. Yes, you have one in California. Yes, you have savings. But who would sell somebody a house when they're just moving up there? They have no visible means of support. Not going to happen. Well, it did. I'm still in the house. <laughs> so the whole point of that is I did use some spiritual philosophies. I used some practical philosophies. Saving up. More of the philosophy of what we teach was the visioning, having the house in my consciousness, putting it in my consciousness, recognizing that my consciousness, or lack thereof, was why I wasn't finding what I wanted to find. Recognizing that my thinking was holding me back, because deep down inside I thought I can't do this. My biggest fear was I'll buy this house and then I'll never get any more work as a consultant. <laughs> and all the money I put into this house will go down the drain. That was my biggest fear. I had to let that go. <clears throat> so the most valuable tool. For achieving our intention is to let go and trust that it's all going to work out the way it should. Meditation, visualizing, visualization, prayer, treatment, they do work. So in closing, I'm going to sing you this song. Somebody said, what you sing? I will find a quiet place, a quiet place within my mind. And I will wait upon the Lord, wait upon the I will make a quiet place, a quiet place within my heart, and I will wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, be still my soul, be be
Thank you for listening. If you've received value, we invite you to share this podcast and check out our website to register for our Let's Connect weekly newsletter, providing thought-provoking blogs along with the details of our upcoming courses and events. Blessings on your journey.